Hello, Gobwalkers, and welcome to another episode of the Goblin Lore Podcast. Um, we are excited to have Sean and McGuire join us again to talk about the story of murders at Carlisle Manor. That, that's murderers uh, with a plural because there are lots of uh, bodies in this set that show up. This was a 10-episode uh, story arc. This is awesome. I'm so glad we got all this story. And I hear we're going to get possibly some more story after some puzzles are solved. I don't know, something cool going on with that. I haven't heard exactly what's going on, but there's apparently puzzles out now that the whole set has been spoiled. And I don't do puzzles, so I haven't been playing, paying attention to that. But yeah, my name's Taya. Um, you can find me at Taya Transcends on Blue Sky for the like 10 people that follow me there and use Blue Sky. And my pronouns are she, her, they, them. And I'll pass it over to Alex. Yeah, I'm Alex. I'm, I'm found on Twitter at Mel underscore Chronicler, though I'm down to about once a week. I've nearly kicked the habit, but I'm still there for now. And my, my pronouns are he, him. Uh, and, and Hobbs couldn't make it tonight. But as, as Taya said, Shannon is here. I'm very excited to talk about the, the story here. So welcome, Seanan. Uh, you like to introduce yourself? I'm sure everybody knows you. You're so awesome. You only say that because I know where you live. But yes, hi, I'm Seanan. I am here. Um, I'm never sure where to introduce myself unless people say, hey, Seanan, introduce yourself. Uh, I wrote the magic fiction, the magic story that went with Murders at Karlov Manor, and that is why these lovely people have me here to be chattery with them. Great. So we always have a question of the week, and seeing as this uh, story was a detective story, I thought the question should be um, similar to that. And we all know that Proft is the greatest detective in the multiverse. So excluding Proft, who, which characters in the multiverse, uh, which two characters would you team up to solve a crime? And I picked uh, Rafine and Jace, because I figured that a... Sphinx that could tell the future and a mage that could read anyone's minds would be very good at solving a crime. <laughs> yeah, those those seem like good options. I I I went in a different direction because that's just the direction I tend to go to. Probably less good at it, at like a active crime like the murders we had in in this storyline. But I, I chose Tamio and Quintorius because they both seem very good at the looking for the details like contorius with a lot of his work with the archaeology sort of things and and tamio being you know knowing stories i I felt like those two could pry apart some details that most people would overlook oh yeah i mean if i could have picked a dead character i definitely would have picked dak faden because his uh (laughs) ability to uh read artifacts would have been really cool for a detective yeah, as well as I, I did pick a dead character there, but sorry. How about yourself, Sean? You know, if we have to set the crime on Ravnica, if the idea is here's a Ravnican crime that for some reason Proft couldn't be involved with, I would actually bring Azor home and just have it be Azor and Atrada trying to solve the mystery of who killed Lazev, who 
Of course. We, like, he has a card in the set. He's not freaking dead. And you know Atrada knows that, but you also know that he could be standing in front of her in his underpants eating ice cream out of the tub, and she would continue to insist that he was dead. So while they are attempting to solve the crime, she is sabotaging the crime at every uh, at every step to keep Azor from figuring out that her guildmaster is still alive, kicking, and probably giving orders. Uh, now, if I don't have to set the crime on Ravnica, if I can just go anywhere, I'm going to go to Innistrad and have Soren Markov trying to solve a crime with Gisa Sasani, because that is the closest I'm going to get to a Batman Poison Ivy team up in Magic Universe. <laughs> that would be awesome. It would be hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> oh. And, and since Hobbs isn't here, I, I did want to add his. He. His team up whenever there's an option for team up is is always Nicole Bolas and Squee. He loves the like the idea of a buddy cop movie with the two of them. I know we we talked about that at some point in the past. Today, while I was after he was kind of talking about that, I was thinking about it, and it's like you know, depending on the circumstances, Nicole Bolas earlier in the story before before the recent Dominaria story could probably have gotten gleaned a lot of information about a murder just by killing Squee over and over again, just to like try to replicate it. I don't know. Yeah. Like let's try to replicate this blood splatter pattern and do some analysis. That's what immortal sidekicks are for. All right. Well, anyways, we have 10 episodes of story to talk about. So let's dive right into that because that is a lot of story. I'm so glad they let you write 10 episodes of story. Oh, me too. I was genuinely overjoyed when I found out that we were going to get to have the space to do this properly. Also, I I write kind of ridiculously fast, so we were able to do more passes to make sure that everything's synchronized internally than is normally built into the schedule. Uh, which I think really helped. Awesome. And, and I'm gonna. I mean, if you're listening to this, you're probably in the story and have already read them. But if you haven't read the stories, go read them. If you've read spoiler them, alert. just go read them again. But yeah, and spoiler alert: we're going to cover the yes. stories. But just go drive some traffic to the story website because that's how wizards know that we love reading the stories and knows to hire people like Seanan to write more stories for us. Mm-hmm. Just and a random question. Now that I'm thinking, before we get started, did was it announced beforehand how long it would be, or did I did I just miss that? It wasn't super announced. What okay. happened was episode one dropped, and then there was a big gap before episode two. And when episode two came up, they published a schedule saying how long things would go on that it included story continues. And now normally you have five mainline stories and up to five side stories, which are just things to flesh out the setting a little bit. And this time we didn't have any side stories coming. So they got a little bit more loosey goosey on letting us admit how long the story was going to be, but it was less formal announcement and more. We have a cat in a bag. Let's see how much we have to shake the bag before the cat gets out. Okay. No, that's, I mean, it, and honestly, it worked for me because I was expecting somewhere in that like five ish range. So once we got to five and it wasn't done, every episode was like, oh, is this the end? Well, how is this going to end? And so that, that kind of kept the mystery alive more for me just because I didn't know how long it was going to go. 
Yeah, the story just got rolling at episode five. You know, we were just getting the wheels going. And so it was uh, it was great to have that kind of room. And I also want to say, Seanan did a set of what she called DVD extras for this story, um, which was some behind the scenes uh, commentary on all of the episodes. I'm actually going to be pulling a lot of a lot of her thoughts from that into this as I ask about some of these scenes and uh, some of these questions uh, in using Seanan's own commentary as starting points. Uh, if you haven't read that, go read that too, because it's really good. Uh, just getting into her mind as uh, she wrote this. And uh, did you write that as you were reading it again as the published uh, final? I had to. So <laughs> one of the things about working with wizards, and this is a totally reasonable thing, and it's part of my contract, is that they can rename stuff at any time. And they can copy edit even after I have signed off and excused myself from the project. So commas can change, that sort of thing. Several characters actually changed names between my final draft and the publication. And in order to sync up with that, I was having to wait with everybody else for the story to drop every day before I could pull, copy it, and do the DVD extras. That's really cool. And you got those out fast. Like you, you said earlier, you're a fast writer, and I think it's it's pretty obvious how fast you are. Yep. All but one of them came out within two hours of the story dropping, and the one that didn't didn't come out within two hours because I was on a plane home from San Diego. That's impressive. All right, so I'm going to hit right off. Do you have anything you want to ask about Alex specifically, or do you want to just hit in as I go through um, kind of the story in order? Um, I think as you get to go through, I, I can jump in if All right. it comes up. First, I want to just thank you for describing Is It as the uh, Red Blue Guild of blowing stuff up real good. Hmm. You know, as one of my favorite guilds, I, I think that does them a real service. Uh, you know, they do a lot of other stuff, but they usually do it by doing that. Yeah, I mean, technically they're the Guild of Civic Engineering, but that's not that much fun. So let's explode some shit. Yeah. And I think one of the themes throughout the stories was just how negative the view on Planeswalkers were on Ravnica. It, mm -hmm. It's pretty much everybody is blaming them partially for the invasion, uh, despite what the Planeswalkers might have been doing elsewhere to stop the invasion or what they did even on the plane to stop it. Like there, there's an early thing in the first one or the first story talking about why Ral Zarek wasn't there and that it was probably considered unfashionable to invite a planeswalker unless you had them properly leashed. And that continues throughout the story. And, and it's just, it, it constantly irritates Kaya, you know, to be othered or called a planeswalker or seen as the bad guy when they kind of gave everything to stop the invasion and how much, you know, they paid and their friends paid her friends paid to stop the invasion and how they're viewed. And, you know, was that a point, you know, or was that a point that was like something driven by wizards or was that something that you brought to the story? It was kind of a combination of the two. I think I love planeswalkers more than any other creature type in, uh, in magic. You know that. 
But yeah. I think it's really easy when we're focusing on the planeswalker kind of as the player in insert character and as who we're supposed to empathize with to forget that we have context. Ravnica has no context. What Ravnica got was uh, was War of the Spark, was dicked over nine ways from Sunday. And then there's this huge multiplayer invasion. Nobody popped home to tell Ravnica this was coming. You know, Kaya didn't take two seconds to, to zip over to Ravnica and go, hey guys, invasion en route, sorry. Uh, but Vraska certainly came back in a big way. Uh, Jace, yeah. you know, didn't show up to help them. Now, he had good reasons. But it's kind of like when you're having a child and you're at the hospital and your best friend doesn't show up on time, you find out later that it's because they were in a car accident. You don't know that while you're getting angry with them. And there hasn't exactly been any sort of organized, let's sit down with the leadership of these planes and explain what happened in a way that they can understand and accept. Ravnica, because it's been so central, has a remarkably high number of planeswalkers that have risen to these extremely elevated positions in the guilds. And from their perspective, yeah, the planeswalkers did dick them over. They let them down. Yeah, Kaya had I mean, a responsibility to the Orzhov and she didn't show up. Yeah, you know, and it wasn't just Kaya. There was a couple of you said Ralzer. Yeah, like well. yeah, you know, Vraska directly led the invasion of the plane, and Ral did what he could to fight back, but that wasn't much. Yeah. Really. So for most Ravnikans, even after War of the Spark, they probably didn't know what a planeswalker was, unless a planeswalker had led directly to the death of a member of their family. Mm-hmm. This happens, and afterward, they're tr- people are trying to explain it to, you know, the man on the street, as it were. And what keeps coming up is this new word, this terrifying word, that as far as you can tell, applies equally to the missing leader of the Orzhov and the big, white, scary lady that ate your kid. Yeah. We also get our early introduction to everyone's favorite goblin who acquired his invitation through perfectly through legitimate means. You know, Cranko gets introduced real early here. You know, we find it amusing is that he becomes one of the, you know, not, he's not a major character in this story, but he's one of the reoccurring minor characters. And, but, but he's put on the same footing as a guild leader in this story. And for, uh, for, you know, a, guildless goblin he he's got some pretty big uh pretty big recognition here and you know what was this another what was this an you know something that you chose to do or was this uh we're gonna it was you know cranko really popular and given to you as uh let's get him into the story that was absolutely not something that I chose to do because, and, and I wish Hobbs were here to argue with me on this one, but Krenko's fans kind of worry me. <laughs> like, seriously, he falls into the box of character I would prefer not to write because no matter how I write him, I will get yelled at. And that's actually not fun and means that I would not select him if I were setting up my own cast list. But Krenko is popular. You know, he's the the face of Goblin Typel on Ravnica. He was going to have a card. Uh, they wanted to make sure that he was present in story. 
And to be fair, he did play enough of a part because over the course of writing this, we had to basically build a full map of what the invasion looked like on Ravnica outside of what Vraska was doing. And I don't know mm-hmm. how much I'm allowed to talk about that. So yeah, it's, that's not, fine. it's not yeah. canon until it's published. So, you know, don't ask me about that. Right. But it means that we knew what Krenko had been up to during the invasion. And he really did go fairly deeply into debt to Tessa and is probably very happy for like 10 seconds thinking he's not going to have to pay that. Yeah. You know, I, I don't think anybody knows how the Orzov works. Uh, yeah, 10 seconds maybe as long as you think that. Yeah, because Tomek's still alive, and but he didn't go into debt to the Orzov. He went yeah. into yeah, debt specifically to taste it. Yes, but they come back. Exactly. They do come back, but he probably had about a 10 second period of just going, oh, God, I can breathe. Yeah. Oh, wait, no. You know, speaking of characters that aren't or weren't necessarily, I, I mean, even less so than Krenko, but weren't known and didn't have any story before. Was using a trotter your choice, or was that given to you? So the general thing with with magic story is they develop the cards first, <laughs> and while we can make changes, characters that are created during the process of writing story can wind up getting cards, can get added to the set at late points. For the most part, that all comes from wizards. So they knew they wanted to use Atrada as kind of uh, Proft's Girl Friday, as it were. She was an existing Ravnican legend. She was Demir, which was part of what they wanted. Mm-hmm. But she, as you say, she didn't have a lot of story. So we weren't going to have to fight against a pre-established voice to basically make her Proft's Watson. And she just, she looked cool, too. She already had the look, so... Yeah, she already looked super cool. Yeah, so that was a cool choice. Yeah, so that makes a lot of sense why she'd be there. I did like this early bit that you had between Aurelia and Kaya, where Aurelia saying, you know, there's a dangerous um, killer on the loose. It's not a time for amateur detective work. The Legion will take over from here. The guilds will handle this as we always have. And she's like, did you feel that way when you let, or, you know, talking about, it's no wonder where they replaced you at the first opportunity, the guilds are Ravnica. And then it's like, you know, well then Ravnica, do you have any idea what happened here? Are you as clueless as the rest of this? And this is like, this is just Aurelia, you know, reinforcing the guild or trying to reinforce the guild's sovereignty or superiority over all of the guildless, which, you know, as we've discussed in the podcast, like the, the guildless are the majority of Ravnica. And Aurelia is kind of a jerk on, on a, and that goes throughout the story. And this, and I'll, I'll get to it now. Our, our listener question was, why was, let me um, get the exact wording of this because I want to, this just brings it up right here is uh, why was Aurelia such an asshole? She seemed more, I am the law than I uphold the law. Because everyone in this story with Petty instead possible, of honorable. Everyone in this story with the possible extremely small exception of Kellen, who is a golden retriever, has PTSD. You know, during the invasion, Aurelia failed. 
you, you have to keep things in context. Again, we're not coming in on a cast of characters that was just created that didn't just live through watching people they loved and people they knew get taken over by zombie Borg virus and then fall apart when the, there was no clean win here. Mm -hmm. You know, a lot of Boros died in the invasion because the Boros were trying to uphold the law. So from Aurelia's perspective, even though arguably more Golgari died by numbers, and right now the official party line is that all of House Demir died, but from Aurelia's perspective, none of the guilds suffered as badly during the invasion as the Boros. They made enormous sacrifices to try and save Ravnica. They were unable to save great swaths of Ravnica. And now they have to deal with their survival, survivor's guilt. They have to live through that. We didn't really have a lot of time to focus on Aurelia, even with the expanded word count that we got for this story. But as to why she's such an asshole, it's because she needs therapy, just like everybody else mm -hmm. on Ravnica right now. Yeah. yeah. She's I mean, my, my answer to this was she always has been, even going back to her first introduction and gate crash with her and Gideon, she was a complete asshole to Gideon when she was introduced. So yeah, I didn't see this out of character to her, but your explanation really fills in the, she has a good reason to be. Yeah, like I, I worked with Jay and Ellie and everyone else to try to make sure that I was treating existing Ravnican legends true to their pre-existing lore. And I did read all the old Ravnica stuff, but there's only so much I can hold in my head at one time. Mm -hmm. So a lot of it came down to where would these people be after what they've just been through? Right. Yeah. yeah and that makes a lot of sense. So. Yeah. And, and I, I think you kind of helped set that tone early too with, uh, there was, we did an episode kind of talking about uh, burnout and, and there's a, there's a line here from, from, uh, Judith talking uh, to Kayette saying it there was just a moment where it I think the line here was there was a wall behind the planeswalkers eyes that hadn't been there in their last meeting an unbreachable barrier keeping Kay out and the rest of the world Kay in and the rest of the world out and so it's just it's a great description of of that and I think that helped to set that tone of this place is suffering these people are suffering and that is helping to set the tone of their response to these events that are, are happening and going to happen. Yeah, I have a lot of pullouts that kind of follow that burnout that um, we talked about, uh, Kaya, a couple of episodes back. Um, you know, it's like Kaya is very much at the end of her fucks reserves and not giving up time to build more. Uh -huh. uh, that she is. She just... Oh, through this entire story, Kaya is 100% dealing with active PTSD. Yes, she absolutely. And it just gets worse. There's just more and more compounding it for her. Yep. Being the one to find taste, not good for her. No, she did, did not need that at all. Uh, there is a bit when she first gets matched up with Kellen and he, or when they're walking back to the agency and he asks about Oko and she's concerned about, you know, maybe she has to tell him that Oko got fracturing ice and killed. And I, I was just like, I, I, I was maybe, you know, maybe it was even more so she, if she had known him that she didn't have to say, yeah, I knew him. He was a jerk and I stabbed him between the eyes. So, you know, that could have been even worse to say. <laughs> 
Yeah, no, that, that's a good call, too. I, I forgot about that moment. But yeah, that moment where she's relieved. She's like, nope, I've never heard of him. It's just relieved that she hadn't heard of this person. Yeah, it's like one less thing she had to worry about. But I, I eventually, Kellen is going to run into somebody who knows him. And I know you can't speculate on future story, but it's just he's going to run into somebody who knows Oko and is going to get just like, wow, what a freaking asshole. <laughs> oh yeah. He's, he's totally going to hit that wall at some point. That's not even speculation. That is yeah. the gun has been loaded and cocked and sitting on the mantle for several sets. Now <laughs> there, there's no way that doesn't happen, but Kaya is genuinely relieved not to have to be involved with it. Yeah. You know, we we get the we get the little early preview of the spider hanging around in the cell, uh, you know, like popping up here and there, and I'm sure they're just there for a fun time, right? Mm-hmm. Totally not yeah. there to spy. That would yeah. be silly. I would 100% waste word count on a spider that didn't matter. Yeah. Uh, more of the Kaya burnout, and I, I liked this. Um, this whole section is she's so tired of Ravnik and Manor. She, you know, once she was down here, maybe she'd go to call time for a while where no one was worried about insulting anywhere else, unless it was a fist to the face or Innistrad, far less adequate and proprietary involved. And then your comment was Kaya, who is very much dealing with PTSD all throughout the story is having a panic attack. You know, I love the image of Tasis wards holding her up as much as they were shutting her out. Tasis supporting her even now it's, you know, Kaya is just, totally messed up here and she just found the body of one of her best friends and and before that you know in that statement right there the before that she was just dealing with someone you know calling her planeswalker again and you know having to deal with tipping them and being polite to them and you know it's all of this together it's she can't deal it's just too much yeah. yeah, it was it was actually after the fact that I realized that because we had explicitly stated that Tessa had wards that would keep Kaya from just walking through walls and floors as much as she wanted to, that when she completely freaked out and the runaway kicked in, she wouldn't fall through the floor. Mm-hmm. And that was absolutely delightful to discover. Yeah. And that comes along with a bit later that I also want to mention that I thought was a similar delightful bit. I did like the bit that when she's talking to the ghosts in Kaya's room that it's like, yeah, we'll testify on your behalf that you didn't murder Kaya. That's, you know, it, yeah. it's perfectly reasonable witnesses on Ravnica. Yeah, it's 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 great just world building. <laughs> Yeah, and then we had we had Kellen's insert where you know if Tace is dead, she's a ghost. You should just be able to summon and ask who killed her, and that's you know just just writing out what everybody's thinking. Kellen asking the good questions. Yeah, yeah. It is kind of the useful thing about being able to have Omen Path characters kicking around. Now, on the most for the most part, I don't like it, but in this context, it was very useful. Right, because that that is honestly the first thing that I thought of when I saw this set set on Ravnica, a, a plane known for its ghosts, is why can't we just ask who killed them when the ghost shows up? 
that was my very first thought when I saw this murders set on Ravnica because it is just known for its ghosts. And even the original Ravnica story is Argus Cost working with a ghost to solve his own murder. Right. But, you know, even on Ravnica, if Tessa had come back immediately and been a focus suck for the rest of the story, she still wouldn't have been able to say who actually killed her. Right. Yeah. Because it was just some rando. Yeah. Right. So. Yeah. With that... the way the story worked out here. Yes. But, you know, think about how often that would be the case anyway. You don't mm -hmm. necessarily have eyes in the back of your no. head. Yeah. Or somebody hits you from behind. Ravnica is just a place where learning how to murder people while they're facing away from you is very important. Yeah. And speaking of Agros Koss, I'm so glad you got to insert him into the story because I loved the original Ravnica story set. And then describing him as dedicated Boros investigator, very, very dead, too old for this shit, also too dead for this shit. Yeah, he just, he thought that when he died, he'd get to quit. Yeah, and, he, you know, first he had to work for the Azorius, and then he got redrafted by the Boros, and... The dude's been dead for like 80 years at this point, and he's this still working. <laughs> yeah, it really isn't. He's, you know, the guy needs to be allowed to retire. Yeah, and it's not even, you know, in one of the guilds that that's a, a normal thing for. Right, like when you're Orsoff, you kind of expect it. You might not be happy about it, but you are resigned. Yeah. He kicked off and thought he was going to get to go see the Ravnican equivalent of the Elysian Fields, and then what the actual fuck? Yeah. Yeah. But I was glad to see him make a, a return appearance as an old-school Ravnica fan. Mm -hmm. And I think Agris is actually part of why it had to be set on Ravnica. You know, I know that, uh, that Mark Rosewater has talked about originally wanting it to be on an all-original plane, possibly somewhere new, possibly a return to someplace we haven't been in a while. But it kept kind of tilting back toward Ravnica. Well, the nice thing there was that we not only had this huge cast of characters to play with, we had to spend virtually no time establishing who most of them were. Mm -hmm. I love the cast of characters that got selected for this storyline. Yeah. We just had a quick recap and off we went. No need to build anybody. Yeah. And that is not laziness. That is word count speaking. Uh, because the biggest hindrance to magic story, regardless of the set, is that we are in such a tightly constrained space. And that can be wonderful and, you know, give rise to incredible creativity. But it can also be really frustrating because there's all this stuff you have to leave on the cutting room table. Yeah. Well, it, it lets you, like, budget that creativity, too. You reuse some characters. It, it gives you that space. That word count to, to do other things with right and like when i'm writing a novel or something for myself if i have to cut something out for length or pacing i can save it and use it again later i had to cut so much of the villain's big rant the the, the big motive speech because she had a completely valid to her reason for killing basically every single person on ravnica and that just gets old after a certain point so i had to cut it can't do anything with it can't even release it as a dvd extra because it doesn't belong to me so mm -hmm. i would rather have the space to do things that will get kept 
Yeah. Yeah, it's it's a lot where, you know, when you're working another IP that you have to deal with that. And it's part of the gig. You know that when you sign up, mm-hmm. so I don't mind mm-hmm. it. But, uh, yeah. yeah. But it's a factor, especially on a, on a world like Ravnica. And I don't know if this is maybe an aside that is irrelevant, but I was thinking about Ravnica's kind of unique in Magic's worlds when they do like color-based themes, you almost never get a full set of 10. You get five. Mm-hmm. And so when you have to deal with, or not deal with, but when there's space in this world for 10 guilds, that's just a lot more space being taken up by people who are relevant and important to the story. Right. And no matter what you do, you're always going to have people going, why wasn't this character that I care about featured more heavily? Mm -hmm. You know, Mm -hmm. out of, out of all the guild leaders, the one that I want to spend the most time with is Rao. I love Rao. Yeah, and he got no no real time in this story. And he only showed up in the story. That one I will take credit for. He only showed up because I insisted that there was no way to have a gathering of all the guild leaders and not include Rao. It doesn't matter how anti-planeswalker they are right now, unless the Izzet have unseated him, he's gonna be there. Yeah. So I do have um, another bit that I really liked. As a, uh, a Rakdos aficionado, I, I liked when Kaya showed up at the club and was trying to get in and uh, basically went stabby-stabby with the doorman and was like, you know, Judith would offer me honorary guild membership if I made the splatter artistic enough. Mm-hmm. Which just was like, yeah, definitely. And I, I would... I would enjoy a uh, Mardu Kaya. Yeah, yeah, that would be a lot of fun. Yeah, she wanted to work out some of her anger issues in a not healthy way. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's non-canon, but as far as I'm concerned, she did immediately. She left Ravnica and fucked straight off to Kaldheim to go fishing with Tyvar. Yeah. <laughs> and that that was actually the most are you okay criticism I got on the story was I had somebody, just just one person that I'm aware of, that was really like, why does Kaya keep bringing up Tyvar when he's not in the story? And I'm like, when I'm under stress or being traumatized or forced to stay in a situation I don't want to be in, I think about my friends. Yeah, I saw that in your, your uh, postscript DVD extras. Yeah, it was know, just, yeah. Of course, it's you know. Think of your friends, and they I don't they've had plenty of Yeah, I don't want to call anybody out by name, but it really was just out of everyone that we know, Kaya is friends with, and we have seen her being friends with. Who is basically okay right now? Kaivar. Mm-hmm. Full stop. So yeah. Uh, yeah, no, he he just comes up a lot because Kaya is flailing and looking for something to latch onto. And oh, Tyvar's okay. I could I could go crash on Tyvar's couch for a month. He'd be cool with it. Yeah, he would totally. You know, they'd have some real parties. Like he's gonna wingman her up one side of Kaldheim and down the other. Yeah. They're just gonna have a splendiferous time. Yeah. I, I do, and this comes up for both the Trotta and for Massacre Girl, but neither of them like. Um, being used with uh, and ha- and not being paid, they don't mm-hmm. like their professional pride being uh, challenged. 
which I, I definitely feel for them is uh, they're real professionals. They don't want someone, uh, you know, taking advantage of them. Mm-hmm. The difference between a murderer and an assassin is payment. Yeah. And uh, that's probably drawn fairly heavily. I say probably because you don't always know your own influences for sure. Uh, but it's probably drawn fairly heavily from Terry Pratchett's Discworld, because that is also how the Assassin's Guild works in Ankh-Morpork. Yeah. Uh, and, and on the subject of assassins, the kill your friends and family rate was <laughs> phenomenal. The only thing we left unanswered, and that is an exercise for the reader, is, is the fam- friends and family rate more or less? I would assume it's more. As would I. Yeah. We get a little bit on the visit to Vita Ghazi, um, where it talks about Oba being front and center. We get some foreshadowing there, if you notice the first time. I did not notice this. You totally got me on the killer. You absolutely got me. Good. Um, but I'm glad they, we got some people, and I'm glad we didn't cheat. Yeah. We get the whole bit, and this is another thing, as a old-school Ravnica fan and a Rakdos aficionado, the bit from the Guild Pack appendices about Rakdos causing murderous rage in citizens and randomly, uh, random slaughter and uh, stuff, that, that was a new bit of Rakdos lore that, um, was that, something you came up with or was that more world build world building background so Rakdos used to do this is something that was given to me as world building background because we needed a good reason for looking at the guild pact to cast suspicion on Rakdos Mm -hmm. I got to write an actual part of the guild pact I'm so excited about that like that is really cool with that shit now yeah Uh, (laughs) So the, the very broad strokes were given to me, and then I filled in all the details there. Nice, yeah, because, you know, I I, I do love my, my sleepy demon. He's. I just love that he spent the whole frickin' story in bed. I mean, that's what he does. He, he just naps. Yeah. And then he wakes up and, you know, kills a bunch of people and goes back to sleep. Yep. Yeah. When you when you gotta live, he, you know. And when I'm playing, uh, playing him in Commander, he gives me a bunch of free Eldrazi. I don't like that part so much. <laughs> Does uh, Rakdos have the best work-life balance on Ravnica? This is just occurring to me. Yeah, quite possibly. Okay. Yeah. I'm pretty sure he does. I mean, other than Niv Mizzet, who doesn't seem to work at all at this point. <laughs> that, that that seems like a good balance, too. Niv is busy doing other things. Niv learned from Jace that once you're the guild pack, you're not expected to actually do any work. That's fair. Then we have the we have the attack on Kaya and Kellen, and we get the, the Moss suicide pills, which are... That was impressive. Those are nasty. That is, yeah, that is nasty. And, and again, we have some more foreshadowing here because we get the moss with fur mixed in, which is uh, more pointing in a, a specific direction. Although a little bit of a little bit of uh, misdirection towards the Golgari with the moss, but mm-hmm. 
the fur definitely points <coughs> towards our, our wolf riding friends. But I, I thought that that is a hell of a way to go and very um, not fun. Then we get we get Aurelia again back for some more screaming. Yeah, with with, with massacre girl, massacre girl in tow, who normally I don't think would have a problem with being chained up if it wasn't Aurelia holding the chain. Notably, she did kill ten of the guards first, which should have been enough to kill Aurelia in the process with the minuses, but Aurelia somehow escaped that chain. Um, I guess maybe the new. I'm guessing Massacre Girl did get a new card in this set, probably, so it doesn't have that same chain effect. I haven't read all the cards in the new set. Yeah, but she does have a new card in this set. It looks really cool. Yeah. I just always go with card mechanics and character mechanics in fiction don't match perfectly. Yeah, I know they don't. I'm just like, I I like it when they do line up. Alex and I are both Melthos, so when card mechanics and lore line up, we're just both very happy people. Yeah. I mean, the main issue with that is, again, they do so much. The the story and the cards are still going at the same time by the time we get to writing story. Right. Yeah. It, it's hard to make it happen, but sometimes by chance, it just happens perfectly. Yeah. And then there's like, the, the new The new Tomic is a perfect example of a Melthos card to the core. Mm-hmm. The new Tomic, Tomic is absolutely gorgeous. Although I would yeah. like people to stop making sex jokes. They're yeah. not going to stop, but uh, I would like them to. Then we get introduced to Is It Computers, which is terrifying. Right. <laughs> you know, next thing we'll have is the Ravnican Internet. I, there are times when I am not sure certain things were thought all the way through before I was told to make them canon. Yeah. I did a long-term D&D campaign on uh, Ravnica where we, um, just for sake of ease in the game, we had we had smartphones, essentially, magical smartphones. And, yeah, introducing computers to Ravnica turns out to be a really bad idea for multiple reasons. Yep. At least right now they're pretty well confined within the agency. Yeah. Because no. that's totally going to last. Yeah. Thopters were confined to the Azorius at one point, too. Yep. Uh, maybe uh, Ravnica will be more responsible with the internet than we have been. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, there's going to be so much goblin porn on Ravnica. Oh, there's already so much goblin porn. Yeah, but now it's going to be online. Oh, no. Oh. <laughs> uh, I'm just trying to get our poke god. That scene was hilarious. Just sticking the god back in the pokeball. Get in the ball. (laughs) I love him so much. And that is a difficult statement to make because for most, like talking again about how wizards can change things after everything is locked and that's totally okay. I agree to that when I sign my contracts. Anzrag was a female god through most of the writing process, which is why the pronouns for him switch periodically in story. Mm. But yeah, uh, no, the rampage mole. He's a harvest god, honest. Yeah. I mean, 
just mowing things down. Yep. Yeah. I mean, there are harvest-themed cards that blow up lands, so. But he's the mole in the agency. Yep. Oh, no. Did you just get that? Yes. <laughs> did, not, did not register previously. <laughs> it had to be said out loud. Yep. Yep. He's the mole in the agency, and I appreciate the fact that once he's boxed up again and things are actually explained to them in a relatively calm manner, the girl are like, gruel, girl. Grawl, whatever. Gruel yeah. are like, you know what? We're not happy that he's in a box, but you didn't kill him. So we're cool with yeah. you. Yeah. We get more of poor Argus. You know, he finds out Rakdos is still napping and then immediately gets put into a Pokeball himself. Basically, yeah. Yeah. The, the poor guy. It's just nothing has ever gone right for this guy. He's. He's had three books of his own, and then he gets he gets in two stories this time, and nothing has ever gone right for him. I don't know. I figure Agris is taking this time to nap. Yeah. Hopefully he is getting a little vacation yeah. out of this. Yeah. And we get a little meeting with uh, Izoni, which they finally figure out the powder is some kind of natural spore-like thing, and not natural known anything naturally on Ravnica and then Prof gets bonked on the head and has someone rummaging through his memories that we don't know anything about other than they're a cloaked figure that is true that does happen yep and we won't get any answers to this for probably a while so that is also true yes and that is um, why if you pull that particular story into a notepad file or wordpad file, you will find that it's about 800 words longer than any other installment in the story. I, I basically held my breath until I turned blue in order to get more words. The, the description of Prof's mind as basically being his, the, the same way as his magic was really cool, though. Yeah, the, I, the, I like... I didn't think I would, but I actually really like Proft's magic and like the way that it all fits together. It's yeah, neat. The, the way that like literally digging through his memories by going through a file cabinet. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh-uh. and I always love when we can get like different, just you know, magic represented in different ways within magic. Again, it's it's one of those sort of world building or maybe universe building in this case things. It just makes it feel more rich that. We have this idea of how the game works based on the cards, but it's like, well, within the fiction, within the characters, they all have this different way that their magic can work. And mm-hmm. I always enjoy when that can get in there. Oh, the most fun of dealing with Ezrim, who, you know, is basically somebody shoving a briar horse into a My Little Pony stable, <laughs> is getting to deal with the fergonomics of it all. You know, how do how does this have to look? How does this have to work? Because that is a thing that we as bipedal creatures that live in a world of mostly other bipedal creatures don't think about enough. Mm-hmm. But that I use yeah. to drive my D&D uh, GMs insane, so. Um, and then we get one short line, which I know is really important to you. We get, uh, Delny got a message for you. Yeah. Yeah. I'm inter- it's the first character I've named. Ha ha. 
The first one, I got a card at least, right? Yeah, they, they got a card. I'm delighted about that. I didn't know they were going to get a card. I'm, and it's I'm, a really good card. It's a really good card. I'm kind of entertained that they went by that. So I was not trying to... I've, I've gotten chewed out because apparently Magic has too much casual they-them representation without enough representation from other varieties. The chewing out was by a random person on Twitter, so I don't feel too bad about it. But the reason that I used they was that I was trying not to have Kaya assume a child's gender. We didn't actually get in story how Delny thinks about themselves. Right. Uh, and now since it's on the card, that has been canonized as Delny uses they, them pronouns, and that is fantastic. But I wasn't trying to do anything. I just didn't want Kaya to be yeah, a jerk. In one line, we did not get a chance to get their pronouns. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But I'm not, like, for the people for whom that is very important, which includes yeah. a lot of very dear friends of mine, I'm not trying to take yeah. anything away there. Their pronouns are they, them. I just didn't do it on purpose this time. Yeah. But, yeah, you got to name a character who got a really awesome card that is going to go into my Alesha deck and a lot of other decks. Apparently, a lot of decks, judging by its pre-order uh, price. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I kind of wish their card wasn't so great because it means I won't have a shot at the original art. Yeah. I'll just have to wait for another Tyvar. Yeah. I mean, you can just, yeah, you can fight for the Tyvars. I mean, just because a card is good and standard does not necessarily mean the art is going to be expensive if it's a generic card that happens to be good and standard. I'm guessing it's standard playable, which is why it's so expensive. Yeah. yeah. So. Um, standard play does not correspond to art value. Oh, I know. Uh, and then we move on to gathering up all the leaders to find out who the killer is. Because nothing says I love you like making me write a scene with 30 distinct people, all of whom have their own opinions about the situation. Yeah, and, and Proft just, Proft has to, you know, be the center of attention and tell everybody who he is. But we have Cranko once again being the uh, the voice of reason here. It's like, so if whoever's been hunting guild leaders wanted to finish the job in a hurry, all they need to do is hit Vito Ghazi, right? Yeah. You know, as you put it, Krenko's asking the important questions. You know, that's definitely it. And it, it turns out, you know, we do find out who's the one hitting or trying to kill everybody. And it's they, Vitugazi. Yeah, well, at least Oba, one of the faces of Tristani. And what do you know? All the guild leaders are there, so she can just try to kill all of them at once. Thank you, Prof, for putting them all in one place. It is a hallmark of the genre. Yeah. Certainly is, except she is very powerful, and they are all inside of a giant tree that she can control, which is usually not a hallmark of the genre. No, and that part Prof really couldn't account for in his calculations. Yeah. So she goes murder rampage and starts rearranging the tree with everybody inside of it and pinning people down with branches and wrapping Krenko up. And Rail tries to fight back with his lightning gun, but it's not super effective against trees and 
Um, turns out, uh, was it Yasmir from the Gruel is actually doing a fairly good job, but uh, then he almost gets stabbed, but Atrata takes a hit for him. And there's a lot of comic, you, you wrote, a, I think it was a really good comic. Uh, we kind of skipped over Oba's reasoning for all of this, though, is Oba basically was using the the world's vegetation system to listen in on all everything that was happening on the guild during the invasion. They're all the guilds. But only was getting pieces of what they could listen mm-hmm. in on. So yeah, like that the, I'm... Sorry, go ahead. I was going to say, so like she heard the Phyrexian or heard Tasa using the Phyrexian bits, but Tasa wasn't cooperating with the Phyrexian. She learned Phyrexian from the ghosts and was using that to feed them bad information. And Atrada confirmed that because Atrada was working with Tasa. So, so it's really just like... the message of murders at Karlov Manor, if you step back and look at the motivations for everything is that you need to get context on stuff. Context is important. Anti-planeswalker sentiment is a result of missing context that makes perfect sense, but is still missing. All of Oba's actions, I'm sure, because she was killing for weeks before she started targeting guilt. Right, and, and that's another thing that she was killing for weeks, but there were people that weren't important to the guild, so nobody noticed. Right. Because who notices one more murder on Ravnica, especially when you're grabbing real assassins to do most of the jobs? Yeah. If Massacre Girl kills somebody and she was paid to do it, it's not illegal. Yeah. As long as it doesn't interfere with guild business. As long as it doesn't interfere with guild business, yeah. So the issue isn't that... I mean, the issue is that Oba was killing people. That's terrible. But when you pull back a little more, the issue is that Oba was killing people for the wrong reasons. She was killing them because she had heard a rumor. She had heard gossip. She had heard, oh, these people are bad and just decided that she got to do something about it. And the normal people of Ravnica heard that planeswalkers were behind the, uh, the invasion. They don't know how to prove that. They have no context for it. And they just went straight to, oh, planeswalkers are bad. Let's treat them badly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, 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 that's I think also kind of contributes to the, the whole thing that this plane is still hurting, which I think is a microcosm of every plane is still hurting to some degree or another. Every plane is still in pain. Yeah, and, and it's a lot, and it's just, and this is one of the after effects here. One person with power is decides to do something without the proper context, but I suspect we're going to be seeing more stories that shows kind of these after effects in other places and what's going on there and how these people are, those people and those planes are reacting. And sometimes I think we'll definitely see some of that. We're not going to see much in the same vein, even though logically the same thing would be playing out with variations because magic does have to balance having a coherent and compelling story with being a card game that we want people to buy and care about. So we can't necessarily sit with here's 20 sets in a row about planeswalkers with PTSD. Yeah, that's true. There's a few passages that Hobbes highlighted. I wanted to bring up. And uh, first I want to see, I I loved how you defeated Oba with the uh, um, magical police tape. That was 
Um, fantastic. That's a, a great way to defeat a big bad. Mm-hmm. But right after this defeated, uh, there's this line where uh, in his cage of roots, Ral began to laugh, and after a moment, Kaya did the same. They laughed not because they were amused, but because they were alive. And sometimes relief can look a lot like joy when it's seen in the right light. Everything depends on how you're looking at it. Mm-hmm. You know, like things of like where we're like, you know, everything's so traumatic at some point, all you can do is laugh because you can't deal with it any other way. Yep. And, you know, again, back to the overall theme of context that runs through the whole story. Yeah. What, Callie? You want to be on the show today? What? And then there, there was a bit that actually started before the fight that he highlighted that I want to bring up. Uh, Krenko back deeper and deeper into a corner looking for something he could use as a weapon against the violence. His own understanding of danger was telling would erupt at any moment. Uh, he knew something was about to go down. Uh, I think it was pretty obvious to everybody, but Krenko, you know, knew a bad situation when he saw one. And he's used to having goons to do work for him. Yeah, Krenko without, I wouldn't say Krenko is a coward, but I would say that Krenko without any other goblins to call on is definitely someone who is very aware of how exposed he is. Right. And that, I mean, that goes to our regular saying that, you know, goblins like snowflakes are only dangerous in numbers. Yeah. And and particularly in that room, too, at that time, you have some of the most powerful people on that plane. Like politically, right. all the most powerful people. Like, but but some of those politically powerful people are also very just powerful. Yeah, you know, he's a, a two three in a, a room of five sixes. Yeah, he is not going to draw attention to himself, but he is going to try to find something he can use to not die. <laughs> yeah, you know, and then we just have the last one, you know, where we have. Uh, another face of Tristani Sim talking about, you know, drawing in on themselves and Emma Tandris will speak for the conclave while they're in communion and whatever happens will be the will of Matt Selesnia, you know, and then says the other face says that, you know, everything ends and if it's Matt Selesnia's will, their time will be done too. So, you know, Obed doesn't really isn't going to get punished because you can't punish her without punishing the other two innocent sisters. So they're essentially going to go into hibernation and uh-huh. let their pay room determine what their punishment's going to be. Right. I wanted to kill her. Yeah. I really, because from a narrative standpoint, she should have died. Mm-hmm. The only path forward from here really is Tesa politically destabilizing Ravnica. This is an insult against the Orzov that cannot be allowed to stand. What is the pro- what is the blood price of an Orzov guild leader? Only everything you ever thought you owned. Right. Yes, like, and, and that's yeah, and that, that's the line you have in the last story. Intend to make the argument through an army of accountants and financial bylaws so archaic or Azor wouldn't be able to comprehend them. The price of assassinating Azor guild, lord, guild leader is everything you thought you owned. If they want her alive, well, her death would have been less, far less expensive. 
Like, Tessa is not necessarily pissed off that she's dead. She's pissed off that she was killed for a stupid reason by someone who didn't understand what was going on. And to a degree, she is mad to be dead. Because one of the things that I tried to focus on without harping on it too much is that even for the Orsoff, being a ghost is not the same as being alive. Right, yeah. It, it's not. Is never going to get laid again. Yeah. She's never going to drink another cup of, co- cup of coffee. She's never going to exercise and get uh, endorphin burns. Those things are over now. She wasn't ready to give them up. They were taken from her. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think she's in the right to be a little pissed off. Yeah. And that bit I referenced earlier when we talked about, you know, how cool it was, you know, with the wards of Kaya and with her ability not falling through the floor. The part that I wanted to relate to that was just, you know, how cool it was that she was still able to hug her dead friend because of her Mm -hmm. power set. Yeah, that was really essential that uh, that Kaya be able to have some closer closure with Tessa because she didn't get closure with anyone they lost in the Phyrexian invasion. No. And really everyone that died on Ravnica died because of the invasion. They are among the last of its victims. Mm-hmm. So even if Tessa didn't need that, Kaya needed it so badly, I would have screamed until they let me put it in. Yeah, but... It's one advantage of being able, of ghost form is being able to hug ghosts when you need to. Which I hadn't considered that. I, I actually had to read that section and, and then, I, oh, right, that's how she's doing it. Like, she hugged Tessa. And, oh, right. That's Yeah, that's, that's one of those things. That, it, yeah. It's hard for the card game to to represent, but that's why having the, the, the fiction in addition to it Yes, so I was good so happy when uh, when we verified that Tessa was coming back. And also when they went with the Doyleist explanation and let her keep her cane. Yes, that was so great. I do love that because they had that card a while ago with the uh, sculpturist who basically you... He like had a missing arm, but then you get a a version of him where he's a spirit or something, and his arm's back. Mm-hmm. Or, and I was like, "Oh, that was kind of lame." But I love that they let her keep her cane in death. Well, as a cane using person, if I die and get to the afterlife, and I still need my cane, I'm going to track God down and punt him in the balls so hard that he kicks me down to hell. Like just period. <laughs> I don't want that. But from a Doyleist perspective, from we live in a world where there is minimal disability representation and very few positively disabled characters in a setting like magic, Tessa needs to bow to the needs of the real people for whom she matters. So Mm -hmm. her keeping her cane is very important. Yeah, and I don't even see it as needing it as a disability aid. It's just part of the body. It's part of her body, and it's a power symbol for her. I've, you know, it's she didn't keep her murder wound, but she kept her murder weapon, and she will. Yeah. No. It's it's just it's part of her. um, She's had it for so long; it's part of her persona. Mm -hmm. Because 
it's just been there for so long and part of her life that it's I don't know. I'm glad they kept it personally. Me too. I actually insisted on it. Yeah. But yeah. So that is that is the speedrun version of the ten episodes. Of Murders at Karlov Manor. <laughs> yeah. I was gonna bring up so yeah, we just talked about Arcane. I, I had your epilogue um up here so long and we already talked about Tyvar, which I thought was good. <laughs> so you we, we already covered the two things I had um marked to talk about in your epilogue thing. Um I'm talking about they're friends. Of course of course Kaya wants to go talk about Tyvar because she doesn't have many positive people to talk about. She lost so many people. Kaya is not a character that has been given the opportunity to build a large supporting cast of people that she spends time with and is close to. Um, and the Phyrexian arc did not really make up for that. I have issues with Kaya sometimes because I really loved the Boom comics where she was a central character. And that version of Kaya is so different than the actual canon version of Kaya. Mm-hmm. You know, I had people complain that in the story, she commented that she and Ralph Eric were not really close friends, but in the comics, they are. Well, in yeah. the comics, Ral voluntarily leaves Ravnica occasionally. The comics are not the canon. Mm-hmm. I wish they were, because then my Nahiri one-shot would be canon, and I could yell at all the people that say that she's nothing but a psycho bitch, but they're not, so. Yeah. No. But, all right, you have anything else you want to ask about Alex? Not really, no. I That, that hit kind of the, the few things I had. And other than, I guess, thank you for, for coming back. Always appreciate you coming on, Sean, and, and talking to us about story and getting... I'm genuinely always happy to. Um, anytime Taya asks me, I'm pretty much here. Yeah. Thank you. I'm yeah. Thanks a lot. I, I appreciate you spending your time, you know, on a Monday evening with us. It's, uh, it's all good. I appreciate you continue writing the story, and I look forward to um, hopefully Wizards having you back in the future. Thank um, you. I hope so too. And just thank you for doing this podcast. You know, you mentioned early in that people should go and click the link and engage with story. Well, it that is incompletely true. Story is basically an advertising mechanism right now. It does not make wizards any money, but it costs wizards money because they have to pay the writers and they have to pay the editors and they have to pay people every step along the way. So it'd be real easy for the people at Hasbro that control layoffs to look at us and go, well, this is a waste. It's not having an immediate mater material return. And the only mechanism we have to fight that is clicks. So, yeah. You heard her. Go go read the stories again. Um, Keep if clicking. you've already read them. Keep clicking. Yeah. Tell the bean counters at Hasbro that story is important to us. And it is. Um, because that's basically the only way I'm engaging with magic right now is stories and secret layers. Uh, because they created a cats and dogs secret layer, which um, basically uh, spoke directly to me. And I wish I would have bought more copies of it. Yeah, no. and the story is one of the biggest things that 
I'm, I'm engaging with actively as well. It's especially now that I'm sort of back to the story with uh, the, the wonderful, wonderful stories that were going on during the Phyrexian arc that I had, I had some struggles with, but now we're back after that. And I'm definitely engaging with the story a lot now. You are free. Yeah. So I, I maybe someday I'll there. come on and we'll all be here. Yeah, hopefully, you know, miss you, Hobbs. Hope you're uh, feeling better. Yeah, do miss you. I'm, I'm glad that Bill is able to be here this time, but please feel better. Yeah. All right. And that's our show. Good night. And that's our show for today. You can find all of the hosts on Twitter for now. Hobbs can be found at HobbsQ. Taya can be found at Taya Transcends. And Alex can be found at Mel underscore Chronicler. Feel free to send us any questions, comments, thoughts, hopes, and dreams to the Goblin Lore Pod on Twitter, or email us at goblinlorepodcast at gmail.com. If you would like to support your friendly neighborhood gobslugs, our link tree can be found on our Twitter account and in the description of today's show. This has everything from various discount codes to the link for our Patreon. The music for today's show was by Vintergotten, who can be found at Vintergotten at bandcamp.com. The art was done by Stephen Raphael, who can be found at Steve Ruffle on Twitter. Goblin Lore is proud to be presented by Hipsters of the Coast as part of their growing Vorthos content. Check them out on Twitter at HipstersMTG or online at HipstersOfTheCoast.com. Thank you for listening. And remember, goblins, like snowflakes, are only dangerous in numbers. <laughs>